What is inside her that matters? You know, just who she is as a person. Um, yeah. What she has to give. And not because she has to give something to the world. And you don't necessarily have to do that. Yes. But um, just her good heart. Because yes. I think I did have one. Yes. Um, and her good intentions, I think. Welcome, beautiful thinkers. That's a clip from this interview with Estrella Uribe. And she's going to tell us this story about growing up in Mexico, having these indigenous roots and being bullied because of her race and how that affected her, how the fire in her belly over time became extinguished, replaced with a knot in her stomach and that feeling which so many of us know so well and how daunting it can be when that's all you know when you <laughs> you wake up in the morning and feel that knot in your belly you go to bed and feel that knot in your belly it could be hmm i think we all know how that feels it feels like we're a little bit trapped so as a stranger continued on her journey she learned how to express herself more and how to come out of her shell and leave behind those coping mechanisms that no longer served her and open up to that expression and self-love. So that's what we're going to hear about today. So we'll hear, we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, you'll notice in the interview that I go through some techniques with Estrella using the breath and using her mind, her imagination to explore what was going on in, in her past and what could possibly be different. <laughs> if you would like some coaching in this form or, you know, a slightly different form, you can head on over to beautifulpodcast.com and use the coupon code beautiful2021 so you think you'll get uh, 50% off your first coaching session and we'll be able to explore your imagination, explore your world and guide you, explore, you know, come up with an action plan so you can begin to integrate those lessons that you discover during the session in your life to move towards a place of greater contentment and fulfillment and yes let's let's hear from Australia this is a beautiful thought so I'm here with Australia Uribe and she's going to tell us a story about well about finding herself, I guess, <laughs> about facing bullies, perhaps about uh, racism in Mexico. How are you, Estrella? Good. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming. <laughs> so the story begins, you're about maybe seven years old and you're in like primary school, I guess, elementary school. Yeah. yeah. What did, What's school life like for you at that age? Well, uh 
since I started kindergarten, it was actually really good for me. I had a lot of friends. I I really liked going to school. I was very responsible regarding my homeworks, regarding my assignments. I enjoyed it. Mm. And I was always complimented by my teachers. They would always tell my mom how smart I was. And I mean, not to brag, but yeah. Mm. <laughs> I learned how to read fast and all of that. I was creative. I would make up stories. I would, I don't know. I was, I was like a very bubbly, cheerful kid. What did your teachers like about you? Like what skills were you excelling at? Well, they would always be praising like my creative abilities. Mm. Like in Spanish class, I would like... Uh, write these stories I would like invent them hmm. so I have like good writing skills I should have actually taken more advantage of them <laughs> I would probably be a writer now yeah um, what would what were the stories about I can't remember to be honest I just remember I made this one about ants that became giants but I can't, I can't remember <laughs> and I've moved cool. so much through the years that I don't really have them you know they've gotten lost why do you think you had that creative spark because i was encouraged that by uh -huh. my parents my mom um ever since i was very little she 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 just wanted me to be an artist she wanted to, me to be someone creative or a sort of performer so she was always bringing me to dance lessons um singing lessons pageants even which <laughs> you know i think they're awful but back in the day you know <laughs> I was happy wearing my crowns. <laughs> um, I guess it was because she herself had wanted to be more creative or be a sort of performer. But, mm. you know, her context didn't allow for it. So then she had a daughter and she wanted to. She wanted her daughter to be that. She and wanted to live vicariously. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But you also were enthusiastic about it. Yeah, yeah. So it, was it, it wasn't like she was forcing you no, to do No, 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 not at all. And, yeah. and I think it was also because she saw that I had the spark. Uh -huh. <laughs> and she just encouraged it. Okay. She wouldn't have forced it. No, she wouldn't have. Yeah. Because <laughs> she didn't do that on any other of my siblings. I have four. I see. Yeah. And which number are you? Three. Okay. So I'm like the middle one. Me too. Yeah, oh, I'm okay. the third, third of four. Yeah. I'm three out of five. Oh, three out of five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm like so you kept the going. middle one. Okay, like. <laughs> <laughs> okay fair enough. Uh, so what did you like most about these creative pursuits? I guess I just enjoyed the freedom of expression. I was always very... I remember at home and in school and in like family gatherings and parties, I was always... Like singing and dancing and just playing games and making up games. And I just, just, you know, the freedom to fully express myself without mm. any restrictions. And at the time, I didn't know that there could be restrictions because I hadn't experienced them, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess that and just uh, making people laugh. I, I remember liking that too. Yeah. Mm, that's yeah. cool. <laughs> so... What was uh, what were your siblings like? Um, well, so my two older siblings are both men, male. They're you know, mm. they're my brothers. Um, one of them was super smart. He was kind of like a genius, maybe not a genius, but he was like very very smart. You know, he was like very advanced for his grade. Um, also learned how to read very fast. Um, 
new languages because we actually lived in Belgium when I was four. Oh, right. Yeah, we lived there for a whole year because of my dad's job. And uh, my brother, who was seven at the time, he learned Dutch like very quickly. So did my other brother, what? Dutch. The, oh, right. The okay. language, Dutch. Right. Well, Flemish, yeah, like Flemish. Okay. I did too. At least that's what my parents used to say, but I mean, I can't remember a word of it. And my other brother was a bit more like shy and, and more introverted, but we, we were all like, very happy kids, I remember that. Hmm. We would go traveling often, we would go to the beach or to Disneyland or, <laughs> yeah, my mom would take us to like uh, art workshops and, and painting lessons, music lessons, hmm. yeah. How do you think it affected you moving to Belgium and then moving back? Well, I, at the time, you know, I was, I actually was very ill before going to Belgium. I had, um, what do you call that, bronchitis? Okay. Is that the word in English? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I had that from like age six months old to, to the time we moved to Belgium when I was four. And funnily enough, being in Belgium, in the cold, in the snow, I just got cured. <laughs> I just stopped having bronchitis forever. <laughs> did you, like, run out and play in the snow and, like, run? Yeah, yeah, I did all of like that. Like a Swedish sauna or whatever? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that's what I did, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Then it's funny because, you know, for a long time, people would, like, our parents would say to us, oh, you be careful, you, you shouldn't get cold, you're going to catch a cold. <laughs> Uh, no. Oh, don't take a cold shower. You're gonna get you. No, that just get the flu. Boosts your immune system. Yes, makes you stronger. Yes. Yeah, the opposite is true. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I remember life in Belgium was really nice, and and we were of course very exotic <laughs> to the locals. Yeah. So you know, it was for kids. It was for all the time, and my mom was pregnant with her fifth. Um. So everyone would stop us at the street and ask, oh, where are you guys from? You're such a nice family. And, and uh, they were very curious about it, about us. And You live in a city or in a... In we lived in a small town. But it was like a city, but like small, very small. Uh -huh. It was called Roselare. Uh, okay. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. but <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and I had a lot of friends in school and, and I did no Dutch because I do remember being in class and, and talking to my classmates. <laughs> I wouldn't have done it otherwise. Yeah. Um, but I think it affected me. And, and this I know because I, I this came out after therapy mm -hmm. <laughs> with my psychologist yeah. not long ago. Um, I've always longed for Europe and I've always been attracted to Europeans, not just in a romantic sexual way, but in a, <laughs> okay. you know in, in a I just want to be friends with them <laughs> <laughs> okay cool because um, it was a time in my life where I was really happy and mm. when we came back and we came back because my dad at his job he wasn't given what he was promised he would be given mm. so we came back to Culiacan which is where we used to live which is uh, you know in the state of Sinaloa up in the north mm -hmm. And, uh, well, our economy was never the same. Our financial, financial situation was never the same again. Hmm. Um, so in Europe, you're, you're living like a 
Like, I mean, the, the quality of life is very high yeah. in Belgium. Yeah, it, it, it was. Um, but even before we went to Europe, we were, well, we lived a very uh, okay. good yeah. life, you know, in the financial sense of the word. Yes. Uh, and when we came back, when we came back from Europe, it just was never the same. My dad, he's a chiropractor. He just didn't have the same clients um people just thought he was gone it was the 90s so you know <laughs> uh, he couldn't just post on facebook hey i'm back you know? uh-huh. i see yeah <laughs> so, so yeah and we came back from europe the money situation wasn't the same and uh that made me as an adult always want to aspire to go back to europe Someday, because mm. life used to be good there, mm. or before. I guess you've been to Europe a few times. Yeah, I've been to Europe. Uh, aside from the time when I was four, I've been yeah. to Europe twice in the past five years. Oh, that's great. Yeah, the first time I was there in 2016, I went back backpacking for six months, five months. Yeah. Uh, I did a whole tour of about 10 or 11 European countries just with my backpack, and that was really cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I was trying to get back to the yeah, <laughs> your, sorry, my childhood, your younger life. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we talk about that another time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, do you remember? Like, I, I suppose you go, you got back to Kuliakan. You, you're probably like five years old. Yeah. At that stage, yeah, and then still, still very happy, even though you notice things have changed in the the family economy. Yeah. And and you're going to I assume you're going to a very good school. Yeah, I always did actually. Um my mom always made sure we went to the best schools in town. Mm. Uh, and she would hear about the next better school and she would just put us put us in that one. Um huh. So yeah, so although the financial situation wasn't the same, um as in we we stopped traveling as much, we weren't buying new clothes, we didn't have a brand new car um our education was always my mom's number one priority hmm. so they kept us in in good private schools yeah but do you think when you you changed schools like that when your mom found a better one do you think that that caused some problem like you didn't have as much stability and with friends as you were like well in the next school no hmm. and actually i started um primary school in the new school so everyone was kind of new. And actually, it was a new school. Like, that was the first year of the school, so everyone was new there. Right. So it was easy to make friends. You know, everyone was new. Nobody knew each other. Yeah. There weren't any groups yet, yeah. you know. Um, but it was the next school. That's when it all started. <laughs> what was different about that school? The second one? The, the second new one? Yeah. Well, um... I guess just the kids and the families there were a lot more what we call in Mexico fresa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fancy posh. Fancy posh, yeah, yeah. like uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, very high class, yeah. but you know the shallow kind. You know uh, the ones that need to have the newest car. You know they uh -huh. would just go shopping to Texas. Wow. That sort of... So they, that, that sort they of kind of class. spoiled. Very spoiled. Okay. Yeah, right, very spoiled. And 
you know, and these kids, they were six, seven, ten, and they would always like look at your shoes and what kind of backpack you had. It was mm. that sort of people. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Were they all like that? Mm, sorry? Were all of them like that? Most of them, I would say, yeah. Yeah. And also, because Culiacan itself, I wouldn't speak for the whole state of Sinaloa, but Culiacan itself, which is the capital, there's this very um, strong beauty culture mm. in the sense that women from there are known to be beautiful. That's yes. like, even yourself, I think you yourself know this, right? Like, yeah, people people tell me that. I've never been, but uh, I think maybe I passed through the airport once, but people, people tell me, oh, yes, you know, <laughs> tapatillas are very beautiful and, and then maybe... Even more beautiful. Yeah. Cule what do you say? Culichis. We're called culichis. Culichis. Yes, culichis. <laughs> it sounds quite suggestive. It does. <laughs> There's actually a rhyme, but I'll tell you that later. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so since we there's this fame, there's this reputation about the people from there, mm -hmm. that the women are beautiful, there's this very high pressure to be so um, and to have this standard i don't know to have this status mm. um and there's also that's where narco yes uh traffic was born in mexico back in the <laughs> 60s <laughs> um and so there's a lot of money from that the birth of an industry yep that's where it all started <laughs> right um so a lot of well <laughs> a lot of uh What do you call them? Buchonas. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. That's where <laughs> like they're from. Gangster women. Gangsters women. <laughs> their wives. I mean, the wives of the yeah. drag lords. Okay. Wives and girlfriends. Yeah, so there's so they have their own beauty style as well. So. Yeah. Very peculiar ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so there's this pressure to have this image and to just have status. And if you don't fit in it you know it's like you're a complete outsider and like an outcast and and it's also very white the north in general the north of mexico is pretty white hmm. people are taller they're more their skins are lighter is it a gringo influence or german influence or french or well there um there was a lot of french migration at least in sinaloa hmm. and um they say dutch a bit of dutch i'm not Sure. Okay. And also in Sinaloa, just Sinaloa itself, particularly, a lot of Chinese and Japanese about wow. 120 years ago. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see it actually in, in yeah. some people. <laughs> yeah. Our governor actually is, he has a Japanese last name. Uh -huh. And, um, and yeah, so people are like, they fit, fit more into this standard of You know, the global standard of beauty, you know, the, the generic standard of global beauty. Hmm. Uh, more, so, more so than the rest of Mexico, which is shorter, browner, you know, more indigenous looking. And also because Sinaloa and the states of the north kind of like wiped out their indigenous people. <laughs> mm. There weren't many because okay. of the nature of the climate. Okay. It's very dry and yeah, it's, it's dry and hot. Mm. Um, but yeah, the Spanish didn't leave many of them. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, how do you fit into that? Okay, that that's where the whole <laughs> thing starts. Um, so I'm new in the school, right? Which is like very posh and very high class and very typical Sinaloa. 
So the kids start pointing out the color of my skin and, and my mm. features. I'm actually, my mom's from Sinaloa, my dad's from Jalisco. Mm -hmm. my, ma, my dad comes from uh, Huichol lineage. Alright. Yeah. And so his his grandma was my dad's grandma was a was a witchola, you know, she was native. Cool. Um so you don't see a lot of native features in Sinaloa and if you do they'll be in small towns or in the Sierra, you know, in the mountains. They won't be in the city. Mm -hmm. And I was. Mm. And I was not just in the city, I was in a very rich private school. Yes. Um so kids just start pointing that out. They just started calling me names. But not only that, since you know our economy wasn't that good at the time, and my dad, he loves classic cars, always has. Cool. So he had to sell his, you know, his new cars, and he just kept like the classic ones, you know, like a Mustang '66, a van from the '70s, which I now think is really cool. But back in the day, I was like, oh God, no. <laughs> 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 yeah, don't let them see me in this. <laughs> but they would see me in it and they would just make fun, you know? Yeah. And they would just call my dad. My parents, they would say that they were hippies. Oh, you got hippie parents. You drive a, your car is junk and, and you're brown. You look like an India, you know? So that's where it started. I don't, I don't know if you want to repeat what they said to you. Do, do you want to say some of the... Oh, I don't mind. They would just call me... so. They would call me India, which means Indian, but it's used very derogatively. Uh -huh. And I think it's completely wrong to call someone indigenous India because, you know, the Spanish right. came, they it's, thought this was India, right. and they started calling it India, yes. which is completely ignorant. And yes, yes. <laughs> but most people don't say that in English anymore, but in, in Mexico, it's still, it's still... You will hear it, and you will hear it only derogatively. Hmm. It's a slur. But there is that beer. A bit like oh a yeah, there's yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a beard called that. Let let's not publicize it. <laughs> um, I think there was some controversy not long ago. People oh, were saying okay. like, "Dude, change your name." All right. <laughs> anyway, ah, <laughs> uh, so yeah, they would call me Nopalera, which is um, it comes from the word nopal, which is a cactus. Yeah. Cactus. Yeah. Which we eat here, and so someone yeah. Nopalero. Is someone who eats its nopales. Uh -huh. So an Indian. Or, or farms them, I guess. Hmm? Or fa farms them or collects them or just eats them. That's the. No, I mean, someone who will eat them, who will collect them, who is around them, who lives amongst nopales, amongst right. cactus. I see, I see. You know, the typical image of the Mexican in a, under a cactus. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, that's, yeah. That's, that's kind of. Perverse, because of, of course it, the nopal is a symbol of Mexico. People say, "Ah, oh, nopal se ve yeah, en, la, en, en la frente." Yeah, yeah, and they will say, "Oh, you have your nopal on your forehead." Yeah, to I show say, that you're, you look you're so, so Mexican. Mexican. And it's yes. like, well, you don't yeah. show you my tattoo. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, I got a tattoo from the loteria. That's great. That's so cool. Yeah. That's that's super Mexican. <laughs> you got your Nepal in your arm, actually. <laughs> yes, yes, a little different to yeah, the normal. Yeah, yeah. One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I want to get a forehead tattoo. No, you shouldn't. No, no, no you shouldn't. <laughs> <Don't>. <laughs> but hopefully, people will notice that I have a Nepal on my forehead. Anyway, 
Uh, <laughs> um, I don't think so. I think you're just a weirdo here. <laughs> oh. um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I was called all these names, and they would even sing a song to me. Mm. Um, they would be holding like a black color pencil, and they would just be like. In Spanish, of course, like every star is yellow, every star is yellow, except one. She's this color. Oh. And they would bring out the black color pencil. Because <laughs> they would say that too. They would say I was black. <laughs> just, you know, just this eight years, year old kids just being so racist. Yeah. And of course, I mean, they learned that somewhere, right? I guess so. I didn't. Yeah. I mean, it must be. I'm, I'm trying to put myself in their in their position. I mean, I imagine it's confusing for them because it's like they expect they they see they look around them and they see oh, oh people are you know don't kind of look the same and then you come along and 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 well, look different I and mean, they don't know what to make of it. Yeah, it's that, but also yes. one of them, Pedro, because I remember the names. <laughs> Pedro, he was even darker than me. Aha, uh-huh. a lot darker than me. Aha, uh-huh. so. Of course, in his own frustration, he would just, you know, take it out on me. Yes, yes. Well, that's a, that's a thing too. It's like but it's they not... say, uh, "shit rolls downhill." Like yeah. if they get picked on, then they'll stop picking. I don't think else. he was picked on, but I mean, of course, he he must have had his own experience, right? Being yes. brown in such a fancy environment. Yes. But it's not just the thing in Mexico and its racism. It's not just about your skin color. It's about your features, your phenotype. Is that the word in English? Uh, yeah, but that's like a, <laughs> this is a evolutionary term or something. But yeah, I well, think that's like the your, right your, term. Your genetic, I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, know how yeah. to say it. Your yes, ethnicity yes. and... Sure. Um, so yeah, you can be brown. You can have a tan color, let's mm-hmm. say. But if your features are like, I don't know, fine, and they fit into like the European-ish standard, then mm. you're good. Yeah. But if you look anywhere close to indigenous, that's that's where it's like super bad. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So what do you feel when they when they sing these things when they start singing these songs? I mean, I was always aware that I was brown. Yeah. The brown is amongst my siblings, actually. Hmm. Some of them are pretty light skin, actually. My mom was. Hmm. Um. But I never took it as a bad thing, you know. I was just, oh, la morenita, oh, she's so pretty, you know. Yes, Especially yeah. when I lived in Europe, I was like, wow, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but then they started making fun of me for it, and I just started feeling like I was, I was very ugly, and and I just started doing really badly uh, academically. Well, you know, I was in third grade, but... Mm. I started doing really badly. I just stopped learning. I never paid attention in class, and mm. my grades just went down. What do you feel in the moment? Like, I imagine at first it's like confusion. Like, why are they treating me like this? I guess I always knew why. Okay. Um, to be honest, I don't remember how I felt. I okay. don't think, I don't remember if I felt bad because of the way I looked or just because I was being treated like that. Yes. You know, like not being welcome into the groups, you know, because okay. it was the boys who were bullying me. Yeah. Like actively and the girls would just not talk to me. 
or just like ignore me or just like act like I wasn't there. Hmm. Yeah, it was always like that. Like bullying, the bullying boys and girls too was always different, at least in my case. Can we try something? Can I ask you to close your eyes? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Take a deep breath. And let's go back to when you were eight years old. And they start singing this song. What do you notice in your own body? Well, the first thing I think is like, I'm not that color. I'm not black. Right. I'm more of a light brownish color. Yes. That's the first thing I think. What do you feel? I just want him to stop. Hmm. Are you frustrated? And I kind of don't want to be there. Okay. And I start getting anxious and doing things with my hands. Mm -hmm. What's going on in your belly? There's a knot. Right. What's it like to have a knot in your stomach? Constrictive. Yeah. Yeah. And it never really went away, actually. Hmm. And throughout the years, it just made like a, there's sort of a void hmm. in my stomach that just made me weak overall. Avoid. As in, as in, yeah, as in lacking the strength to just do, take action. How does it not become a void? By having the right support system and by expressing it out, screaming it out, talking it out, which never really happened. But doesn't, um, okay, maybe I misunderstood. If it become, if it not becomes a void, doesn't that mean it's kind of shut out? It's like you haven't felt that not. No, it's more like it just stay there. Yeah. For so long that it didn't make space for anything else. That's what I mean by hmm. void, I guess. It was void of. Good things of strength, fire. So when you were, for example, when, when you're in Belgium, did you have that fire? I did. What does it feel like? just I'm very curious about everything I want to talk to people I want to talk and just be loud my usual <laughs> loud self yeah and sing out loud I just want to do a lot of things with my voice sing talk scream just run around Make art, which at the time was just, you know, making up stories and dancing. Mm. 
put in a little performances from your family. That all stopped when bullying started. What happens to the fire? Where does it go? Hmm. It's it's just um, lit off by the big knot in my stomach. Right. It's like uh, putting a big stone on top of the fire or something. Yeah. Fire can't breathe. Yeah. Hmm. What happens right now if you try to breathe into the nut? There's a bit more space now and it feels like air wants to go through its ties. Uh-huh. And there's a bit more space for it. Not fully yet. Yeah. But it's starting to go loose the nut. So it's creating a bit more space. Yeah. Well, we don't have to untangle it all right now, but... <laughs> I'm doing your <laughs> therapy. Can... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good. Okay, that's that's interesting. Uh, I'm not sure where to go from there. <laughs> oh, I just opened my eyes. Sorry. I... <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> you can open your eyes now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was curious to know what what uh, it felt like in those moments. So, yeah. how how did you react? I mean, you you say you wanted to leave, you wanted to run out. I imagine you didn't actually do that. No, I didn't. You know, because I had school, I had an obligation. Hmm. But um, I don't remember if I told my mom. I I guess I must have, because at the time I wasn't really ashamed of it. Hmm. I just wanted it to stop. Sorry, you were ashamed of it? I, I weren't. You were? Shame of it. You weren't. Okay. I weren't. I were not. I was not. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I was not. Jesus. That's all right. You just ch- change, change dialects. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't ashamed of it at the time. Uh, grammar. So I think I told my mom. Yeah. Who was very protected of me at the time. And... And I remember she went and spoke to these ki- kids, at least the two main ones, Pedro and Pollo. Pollo was, of course, a nickname, means chicken. And he was nicknamed chicken because he was blondish. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. He was a weirdo. So she went and spoke to them. Um, I remember, like, they were inside the school gate. My mom and I were, like, outside the school gate and... And I pointed, those are them. That's them. And so she talked to them and she just said, hey, I can't remember her words. I just said, hey, can you please stop bothering Estrella? How would you feel if that was you? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I was just hiding behind her. You know, I didn't want to like look at them because it was, yeah, it was, you know, I was just very, it was a very, I felt very vulnerable, you know, like mm-hmm. my mom telling the kids to stop bothering me and... And the, and they were just like, you know, like looking ashamed or just, you know, their heads down and yeah. just going like, yeah, yeah. 
And they kind of stopped bothering me for a while, but it kind of just made things worse because now I was the, uh, what do you call that? The tell and tell and the whistleblower. And, <laughs> and, um, and they just stopped, like, they just started like ignoring me for a bit, but then it came back. Okay. But it was, I mean, it sounds like your mother came about it in a sensible way, like trying to communicate with them, not just scolding them. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, she wasn't, she wasn't like, oh, your kids are bad. No, Hmm. no, she was trying to be, you know, to make them understand. Hmm. Um, But I mean, it wasn't the most effective way and she did the best she could. I know that. Yeah. But what's funny is that the adults around me never did anything about it other than that one time when my mom went and spoke to those kids. Yeah. Teachers, principals, they just never did anything. And of course they knew that was happening in their classrooms in front of them as they were teaching class. Yes. So the adults around me never ever did anything about it. Why do you think they didn't do anything? You know, at the time bullying wasn't like a thing. That was talked about. Hmm. I remember like this big anti-bullying campaign about 12, 13 years ago, at least in Mexico. And we even started using the word bullying in Mexico, the English word bullying. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I just guess these adults, they weren't taught to defend themselves or to defend others. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's like this attitude that still exists when people are like, ah, well, that'll just toughen them up. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And it didn't. It <laughs> me horribly. <laughs> up to my adult life. Like, yes. I mean, the consequences of it have not been very good. Yes, yes. Um, but I don't know. It's just this non-confrontational thing. It's a very Mexican thing, yes, but also, I mean, an adult who sees a kid being cruelly abused and not doing anything, I just don't get it. Yeah. I just don't. Because, I mean, what would have been ideal was for my mom to speak to the mothers of these boys, not to them directly, maybe. Mm. Or for the teachers to intervene and, and... and the teacher just speaks to the parents. I don't know, you know. Hmm. What do you think you could have done? No, it's not not an easy. I mean, you're kind of in a I mean, tricky I situation. Just fight back. You maybe fought back. I like slap like, them or something. What would you do? <laughs> and I was never like a like a someone who would get into fights or not even with my sisters or siblings or. Um, I don't know. I could have just told Pedro, you're like way darker. Why are you talking about it? <laughs> <laughs> you or never said anything like that. I could have just said, you know, like, uh, I don't know. Like that's, if you're, you're making fun of someone, then you that means you're just dumb and ignorant. And, and I had actually started doing that later on, but as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened when you did it? Uh, they were just like, oh, you think you're too much. Because <laughs> <laughs> the thing about me was that, yeah, I, I, I had these looks. 
and and you know I was brown and indigenous looking and all that, but at the same time I was always like not just unconceited or arrogant, but I was always like smart. Sure. <laughs> and I was always like, uh, you know, I spoke like English and yeah, and I just knew things, you know, in history class, Spanish class, lit literature class, mainly like the that sort of classes, not math or physics. I was never good at that. Because actually when we started doing like math was when I was eight and that's when Bowen started. So I never learned divisions or equations and these things. I never learned it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I was always like, you know, like smart and I knew things and I was always reading books. And um, so the kids knew that I was smart. Um, so, and they would also make fun of that. <laughs> They would make fun of the fact that I was a bookworm or, or that I was, they would say that I was weird, you know, or because mm. I was interested in things. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so I started, I didn't really start telling them, oh, you're dumb. Maybe I did once or twice. <laughs> but in my head, that was the defense mechanism that I built within me, you know, in my psyche. I was like, yeah. They're dumb and they're normal and they're ignorant. Mm. So I don't care what they say because I'm smart and I know things and I have another perspective of life mm -hmm. and they're just as very generic people. Mm. <laughs> um, so that's what I would think to myself in order to not be affected by their insults and their offenses. Mm. Um, but that affected me, you know, as an adult, because I became very judgy of people. Okay. I became very, like, close-minded to meeting new people, to very guarded um, mm. in terms of who I would let into my life or who I would grant my friendship to, mm. you know? Mm. So it's like people are, people are so mean to you, and so you interpret this in, in this way, like, Oh, well, I get I guess I'm just better than them or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, okay. I did that to make myself feel better about myself. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, how did how else did this affect your self-image? Like how did you see yourself as a result of of the way they were treating you? Well, as I grew into puberty and I started having all these changes in my body, I I've heard of those. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we girls get boobs and stuff. <laughs> and we start bleeding, too. So as I was going through these changes, you know, from in puberty, I and I started getting, like, acne in my face, and I started getting weighed. Hmm. And, and I just, I don't know, I had, like, really long hair, and I would never brush it because I became so unconfident in my looks. Um, and people just started calling me ugly, not just India or whatever, but like ugly. They would start calling me like, well, you're so ugly. And not just in school, but mainly in my family, actually, mainly with my aunts and uncles and cousins. And also like my older brother, who was kind of mean to me at some, <laughs> sometimes. Um, they just, everyone was talking about how ugly I was. Yeah. Was it really that, like, I, I, I wonder if you have that impression of it, then, you know, maybe it's exaggerated. 
Or I mean, I bought it at yeah. the time. Now yeah. I would look at pictures of myself at that time. There are many. Yeah. And the few ones there are, in most of them, I'm looking away at, from the camera because I didn't want my face yes. on the photo. Yes. Um, I'm like, what? I, I was cute. <laughs> like, I, wasn't, <laughs> I mean, at least I wasn't ugly. But at the time, of course, I thought I was super ugly. Mm. There was even a time when I was 12 where they were bullying me so much about how ugly I was that um, I just stopped looking at myself in the mirror. I didn't look at myself in the mirror for six months straight. Wow. I would avoid my reflection at all costs. So what, were, what was going on in your mind? I did think that I was ugly. and You did? Yeah, they made me believe I was ugly. Okay. And... So you thought, I'm, I'm so ugly, I'm not even going to look in the mirror. Yeah. And I didn't for six months. Yeah, I would wake up, I don't know, 20 minutes before my sister did. Because when she did wake up, she would turn on the light in the bathroom. And, and I would have to see myself in the mirror. So I would wake up 20 minutes before she did. So I would, you know, do my hair and, and brush my teeth without having to look in the mirror. Because it was still dark. Wow. Yeah. Um... I mean, and I had acne, and I also became like this angsty uh, pre-teenage, this angsty tween, you know, and, and then an angsty teenager. <laughs> so I had this phase, like I was frowning the whole time, I think, I'm not <laughs> sure. And I had acne, and my hair was really messy. Um, so yeah, I looked ungroomed, if you can say that. Yeah. Um, Descuidado, I don't know how to say that. Yeah. Um, and so, I, and I mean, I didn't care because I was like too ugly to do anything about it. So my hair was always like all over the place and it was really long. And that made them call me India even more because, you know, indigenous women have like long braids and I had like long hair. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that carried a lot of self-image issues that lasted all throughout, like my early 20s yeah so was there a moment when you when you started to say well maybe this maybe I can look at myself in a different way maybe I'm not ugly hmm. yeah when I was um, in my 20s already um, or late teens I don't know I think when I moved to Morelia, I was 15, Morelia, Michoacán, which is a state uh, next to Jalisco, sure. down south. And people there are more indigenous looking, you know, they, um, they're brown, they're short. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they still keep, keep very much alive, their indigenous traditions. Um, so when I got there, People started saying, oh, she's cute, and, and she has this accent, and <laughs> so I was like, hmm, maybe I'm not that ugly. Uh, but I still thought that I was pretty average. <laughs> hmm. And maybe not average, just not ugly, you know, hmm. but not pretty. Um, I gained even more confidence in my looks when I went to Europe <laughs> for okay. the first time. Yeah. <laughs> Because, <laughs> um, you know, men liked me there. <laughs> I was this exotic Latina walking down the street, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what changed in you as a result? Because I, I think it's not just, you know, there there's an element of how the, the world treats us, but then there's also 
how we how we choose to interpret it. Because you could have, even when you go to Europe, you could have kept believing, oh, maybe, I'm, you know, they, they're humoring me or something or they're trying to flatter me or they don't really believe that. You could have, but you, you know, you, you did start to change your idea of yourself. Why do you think that I don't that exactly happened? know what that was. Yeah. Um, I just remember, because I always had... Not to sound conceited again, but I always, I always had like, I don't know how to say this in English, pegue, you know, like there was always someone who was attracted uh, to me. Or, yeah, well, sometimes I translate that as spunk, but I'm, that's not spunk. the best term for a woman. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I always thought it was because of my personality, you know. Okay. All right. Interesting. Um, but then I, I think Mitra kind of helped. I think it did. Um, I just looked like them, you know. There was nothing to point out about me, about my looks at least. Because they would still bully me, saying I was Mitchell weird. Mm -hmm. Saying I was weird and saying I was a hippie and I was vegetarian too, you know, so. Hmm. There was always a reason for me to be bullied. Yeah. There, there was, they, they would just see something in me that was bullyable. <laughs> you know, I don't know. And I guess because I also just... You know, I just shot myself off from all these years of bullying. I just would go to a new school or to a new place or whatever, and I would just, you know. <laughs> like shut in. Shut in and make myself small hmm. and, and an easy target, I guess. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, I can't remember what it was that made me gain confidence in myself. Probably also the theater. Yes. When did you enter the theater? I was 16. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and I was in Michoacan. I imagine that's huge, actually. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, uh, we, we do all of these activities and exercises where you just have to express with your body and, and yep. get to know yourself. And yep, yep. I think that's when I started to come to terms with being okay with myself. How did you decide to get into the theater? Well, you know, like I said before, my mom always <laughs> pushed me into being a performer. Yep. She always encouraged me. So I grew up with the idea that I was going to be an actress. I never okay. really questioned it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, I just always thought that was what I was meant to do. But somehow there was, like, the time was right or there was an opportunity in Michoacan? No, so we arrived at Michoacan and um, my mom, she just searched for theater schools. Mm -hmm. She found one and she took me there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I just went along with it because I, because okay. you know, I just, yeah, I was, I always thought, oh yeah, I'm gonna be an actress, hmm. which was hard because, yeah, I always had the desire to be an actress, but actresses didn't look like me, you know. So you thought. <laughs> so you thought. Well, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, on Mexican TV, and I right. never wanted to be on Mexican TV, telenovelas and stuff, never, <laughs> ever. But even. On you know movies or whatever, I I I didn't look like no one. Yeah. And I was always told, oh, why do you want to be an actress for? You're just gonna get the help roles and. Oh. Yeah. That's uh, that's And I kind of harsh. did in university. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of did actually. Do you remember what? Uh, like, do you remember a specific drama game or exercise you did when you were sixteen? I think I think it was in the theater classes itself. 
Because mm-hmm. my teacher actually kind of, she didn't bully me, but she did kind of put me to the side. Hmm. I guess I was just too shy and too, I just looked too uncomfortable and insecure. So she just, she wouldn't really pay much attention to me. She wouldn't really give me roles. Hmm. Um, but it was just the whole environment of this, these people who wanted to do the same thing as me. And they were also teenagers. And, mm-hmm. and they were just very accepting and, and very, you know, they were also into the arts. And, and they were just more similar to me than the people in high school. How does that make you feel when you meet people? Who are a bit more accepting? Oh, I remember. I just wanted every day. I just wanted for it to be 4 p.m. so I could go to theater class because <laughs> it was hell in high school. You know, from seven to 2 p.m. and I I couldn't wait for it to be 4 p.m. so I could go to my theater class. Mm. Um, yeah, I found a bit of happiness there, actually. What's it like in your belly? It's expanding, actually. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. And at the time that I found theater, I also found more of an identity to myself. You know, I was 16, so... Yep. You go through all of those discoveries and... Yes. So who are you? Yeah, so I also started um, listening to a certain kind of music. Yeah. I found what's a, a lot of... What, what's your identity? Well, arts make me really happy. Okay. Because yeah. I also started getting into like art film and like alternative music, and yeah. it's what to this day I'm, you know, the most into. Um, and just moving my body, you know, like just expressing myself through my body. How how do you do that in theater? Like, what, or is it in the theater that you are expressing through your yeah. body? Yeah, I also dance, but uh, it's mainly the theater. Yeah. Um, you know. Your body is your only tool, uh-huh. you know, for creation in, as an actor. So just, you know, using my voice along and my connection, what comes out in my voice with what goes on in my mind and my emotions. Hmm. And, and it's not that I'm moving, you know, like this on stage and doing <laughs> crazy things. I don't really do uh, physical theater. Uh-huh. Uh, but just knowing that my body is my my one tool and instrument. Mm. More than a tool, it's my instrument. Mm. Um, and that just that itself is like a huge source of creation. You know, I don't need a guitar. I don't need a pen. I don't need a brush. Mm. Um, it's it's just me, and that's very empowering. Mm. Yeah, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> What's um do you remember the first role that you had? <laughs> yeah. What was I mean, it? it was in this workshop when I was sixteen. It was yeah. um, well I must have been seventeen by then. Um it was like this nerd girl. <laughs> this nerd <laughs> girl. Um I can't even remember the name of the play or anything. I think we wrote it up ourselves. It was kind mm-hmm. of silly. <laughs> but it was like this very nerdy girl. Yeah. And I felt so comfortable in it because I was kind of a nerdy girl. <laughs> who wore glasses at the time, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I would make the audience laugh. And, and 
and yeah, I enjoyed it. My first professional role though was um, this 11 year old, you know, as a professional actress graduated from college and all that. Yeah. I was an 11 year old um, <laughs> who was bullied in school actually. Okay. Yeah. It was, who was bullied by her sisters too because she mm -hmm. was brown. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that was also What was that play called? Uh in English that would be Scenes from a Liar and Her Dog. Scenes from a Liar and Her Dog? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it, we adapted it from a novel by Jennifer Childenko, who's a, an author from the States. Uh -huh. The novel is called uh, Notes from a Liar and Her Dog. Uh -huh. okay. Because she writes on her diary. Yeah. Which I did too my whole life. That was actually my way to cope. <laughs> oh, so you had the, the titular role. You were the liar. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> I was a liar. Yeah, I was a liar. Yeah, and okay. a dog. <laughs> um, yeah, that was like my first professional role that got me more roles, you know, and made me like known in the <laughs> local theater scene. Hmm. What is it like when you step out in front of an audience? It's frightening, but yeah. at the same time, it's really thrilling. Yeah. Why is it frightening? Because um, it's a like huge responsibility to tell the story of this author who wrote it and this uh -huh. director who created the whole staging and all that. But um, hmm. I mean, it was frightening before. It was frightening for a long time because I just... I was very insecure and confident in myself, even though I would go to auditions and get roles, even though I would, after a show, I would get praised. I don't know, you know, I would get standing ovations. I was still very insecure. Hmm. Um, and I always had, I always needed for someone to tell me I did good. Hmm. So it was frightening to mess up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but it's really thrilling. Yeah, why is it thrilling? Because I just think stories are the best way to just to communicate and to convey a message to touch someone's heart. Hmm. Um, and me being able to tell a story through my instrument, which is my body, in front of a live audience, I think it's it's a gift, actually. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And because it's just, I mean, I just get to play. Hmm. My profession right. is to play. <laughs> <laughs> and not playing in the sense of acting, but like actual playing, you know? Yes. Yes. Playing in the world. Yeah. yeah experimenting. Yeah. 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 And, yes. and I feel very blessed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So what do you think changed about your self-image as a result of the theater? Um, well, along with the theater with, in college, when I, when I started studying it in a you know, more formal way, um, I also started going to therapy because hmm. one of my teachers was a therapist too. And okay. her classes always became like therapy. Well, we always ended up crying. And <laughs> right. What kind of therapy? Um, she did Gestalt. Right. Um, so, so along with my 
becoming a professional actress came my process of therapy too. Because also, when I finished my first year of university, my mom died. Hmm. So that was like a lot of self-confrontation and self-discovery and, and just having to deal with myself, you know? Because it was just me now. Um, yeah. And, and also, you know, through acting and through the exercises, I could identify kind of like what my blockages were and where I felt uncomfortable, unconfident. Blockages in terms of emotional blockages. Yeah, emotional blockages like, or, or what. Like things you were denying. Yeah, or things I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Or just blockages in terms of... Uh, why I suddenly began to stutter hmm. when I was rehearsing, you know? Wow. Why I couldn't fully communicate, you know? Um, so what was it you had to face? People. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can people you, can and, their, you, and their judgments. Okay. Because yeah. I had always been judged and yeah. rejected. So. Yes. And in acting, you know, there's this pressure to do things right because it's so competitive and 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 because it's really bad to see a bad actor on stage, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um. So it was just this pressure of I have to do this right, and for a long time that didn't let me, that didn't allow me to enjoy acting. Actually, through my college years, I wondered a lot whether I did want to do that or not, Hmm. whether I was just fulfilling my mom's desire Hmm. or whether it was genuinely mine. And I even finished school, I graduated, and I still was very confused. I knew I wanted to do theater because I loved it, but I didn't know if I preferred to just write it, direct it, or if I just wanted to be a dancer instead, or I just wasn't sure I wanted to be an actress. So how did you answer that question? Well, when I graduated, I went to Europe to my backpacking adventure. And when I was there, I just started really missing in my body, like all of this exercises and activities Mm -hmm. that we (laughs) actors do, you know? Okay, yeah. These crazy things where you're moving your body and, and, and just acting in general. Yes. And then I would go to the theater and see plays there and I was I would just cry because of how much I enjoyed it Hmm. and I just I would see the actors on stage and I just wanted to be there and do what they were doing Hmm. so that's when I was like yeah it's me it's not my mom's Hmm. it's this is mine well this is this is very interesting because it's like you wouldn't really have known unless you took a break from it it's like the the break from it reveals how much you loved it yeah, that's yeah. what happened. That's very interesting. Yeah. And as when I got back, I maybe two days after I landed, I saw a casting call for this very amazing company, very well renowned, and I and I went and I was given the lead role, so hmm. so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right? <laughs> yeah, for that play, actually, scenes from a liar and her dog. Aha. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Mm. What is a healthy way to see other people's judgments? Uh, that it's 
theirs, you know? Their judgments are theirs. They have nothing to do with me. Right. It's based on their projections. It's based on their life experience. It has nothing to do with me. Hmm. That's what I do now. Hmm. What would you tell, uh, say, a 15, 16-year-old girl going through similar things? What would you tell them? <sighs> I mean, I would hope she has a good support system, an adult support system, because then when you don't, who's supporting you, you know? What if What if she doesn't? Let's, uh, let's try it, like, worst-case scenario. How, how does she, how can she support I mean, herself? I would tell her, I would give her the same answer I just gave you in the last question. Like, mm. this is not you. You mm. did nothing. This has nothing to do with you. You haven't done anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with the people and their perception. And, and there's a whole history of, of racism and colonizations and conquest. And, mm. And it's not even their fault, you know? What is inside her that matters? You know, just who she is as a person. Um, yeah. What she has to give, and not because she has to give something to the world, and you don't necessarily have to do that. Yes. But um, just her good heart. Yes. I think I did have one. Yes. Um, and her good intentions, I think. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and that she's stronger than she thinks. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I wouldn't tell her, oh, this is just going to make you stronger, because I really don't <laughs> think we should go through shit in order to. No. To yeah, get, I to think get there strong. are better ways to find our strengths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, okay. Um, what do you think it would take for that knot in your belly to leave or to be transmuted? Well, like I said, it's way more loose now. Yes. Um, just keep working through, um, untangling my traumas and... You know, I'm doing therapy and I'm very happy in my company, my theater company right now. Yes, yes. And we're doing this amazing project that will come out in spring, spring or late winter. Um, just keep doing what I'm doing and just, because I still get insecure. Yes, yes. Times and just, and just keep on reminding myself that there's a reason that I'm still making theater and 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 also like I've found like a great support group of like anti-racism actors who've been through the same experience that's also been mm. really good for me right yeah um but yeah I think I'm in a good place right now and just keeping keeping going to therapy because it just helped me a lot yeah it took a while for me to find like the right therapist right I went through some therapists who actually did more harm than good. There are some quacks out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can, uh, can I ask you to close your eyes again? I, I, don't, I don't know what's, what's going to happen with this, but just let's try something. <laughs> I'm used to this herb. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So 
let's say, all right, there's there's an, a nun in your stomach, though it's, you know, maybe it's smaller than it's been for a very long time. Now, let's say one day soon, let's say now, it's gone. What's there instead? Fire. Right. Is it with you now? It's starting to light up. Yeah. It's not fully in flames, yet, <laughs> but it's starting to light up. Let's say it's blazing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> What's different? Just my will to move forward. Yeah. Because it was very dormant. What about it if you're just in the same place and it's still blazing? Um, sorry? I mean, what if what if you don't ha have a will to move forward? What if you're just as you are and it's blazing? Well, at least I now know that none of what happened to me was my fault. Yeah. And that's good to turn to come to terms with. Yes. And I'm just a lot happier with who I am and, and how I look. Yes. What's within you that matters? Um just how willing I am to do something that can help the world improve at least a little bit. <laughs> um, I'm very moved by, I don't know, animals or social justice causes. Um, yeah. I think that's important. Yes. Uh, what if it's not about doing? When, what is it about? Um, well, I'm just happy that I can understand myself. Yeah. And um, unpack my trauma and yeah, and change my patterns. You know, the ones I kept on repeating that were harmful. Uh-huh. Just, I would just be happy to, to be true to myself and to my own desires. Yes. What does it mean to be true to yourself? Mm, not putting me to the side. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm putting others first because they're situations and their issues or whatever are more important than mine because right. that's what I did for a long time. Yeah. Um, so prioritizing myself. Yeah. And um, uh, just, you know, 
be my own nurturer and my own support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And stop being, um, what's the, what's the word? Mm, pleasant? No, that's not the word. Ah, huh, a people pleaser. Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> I did it for a long time, you know, put others first because it was just easier to take care of others than of myself. Yes. To Because it, it's hard to comfort yourself. What do you think happens when you put that fire first? First? Yeah, you put the fire first. What happens? Uh, my body just feels this this need to to create. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Thanks. You can open your eyes now if you like. It's <laughs> uh, great. Is there anything else you want to say? Any, any words of wisdom? Any special tips? Anything you want to promote, perhaps? Well, I'm just, I'm just really happy that um, now racism is being talked about in Mexico because for so long it was, yeah, so normalized that it, it was invisible. Yeah, yeah. You know, I knew it existed because I myself lived it in my own skin, but. People never thought of Mexico as a racist country. Mexicans themselves didn't think of Mexico as a racist country. Yes. Um, and it's now being talked about. And I just found this amazing group of brown actors who are coming together to politically change the system to, mm. to, so we can change the industry, the film and theater industry. You know, so we will stop seeing people like myself, brown people, just as... The maid, the criminal, the mm. the poor, the everything that's quote unquote bad, you know. Yeah. Or alienated. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is such an important part of the the heritage of Mexico. Yeah. Eighty yes. percent of Mexicans are brown. Right. But if you watch TV or if you go to the movies or if you see the billboards on the street, you will think Mexico's white. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah I'm just happy this is happening and, and and I just would suggest for people to go to therapy I think it's so important <laughs> <laughs> yeah as long as you can find a good therapist yeah 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 sure yeah of course yeah, we got, we've got to be discerning about it yeah <laughs> yeah um, yeah that's cool alright And are you in any um, like films or plays coming up yeah, I'm in. Um, so I'm in this company called Teatro Nomada. What is it called? Teatro Nomada. Teatro Nomada. Yeah, we translate to Nomad Theater. Yeah. Okay. Um, my director is such a talented person. He's he's crazy talented and sensitive, and we are in the process of making Romeo and Juliet. Cool. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna have our shows in March. Mm -hmm. Uh, all throughout the year. So yeah, I'm doing that right now. Skipping oh. my PC. And that's here in Guadalajara, or it's like yeah, a, yeah. It's okay. gonna start in Guadalajara, and then we're gonna tour the state. Fantastic. Yeah. Great. All right. Thanks for sharing your Thank story. Thank you, Kurt. <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. A beautiful thought. Thanks for joining us there. 
I did think about a couple of things as I was listening back to that interview. One thing is about the power of our words. So I watched an interview a couple of years ago. It was with this actor, about the actor Ahmed Best, known for his portrayal of Jar Jar Binks in episode one of Star Wars. And of course, Jar Jar Binks was met by audiences and critics alike with dislike and scorn. And, okay, that's one thing to feel that way about a fictional character. But the audiences, the, the fans, who wanted so much for the Star Wars Episode One to be memorable and powerful and, and beautiful and intricate and well-written, well, they were so unhappy that they would put all this pressure on Mr. Best. And you see in this interview with Ahmed Best, it's like just so awful what people said. And it's like people can forget so easily that there's a real person there, especially in this age of the internet. Everybody can be a little bit anonymous. We hide behind our keyboards, and I'm as guilty of it as as most people, I suppose. It's important to remember how powerful our words can be. We might think, oh, you know, it's just a little teasing or something like that. Or, you know, this person is a professional or whatever it is. Or, you know, it's not going to affect them that bad. But we can see in a stranger's case or in Ahmed's case... We can see that the, these these words have powerful effects in the long term. And of course, if they can have powerful negative effects, it also stands to reason that we can use them powerfully in a positive way. That the things we say to other people matter. We encourage them. We use our powers of observation and notice wonderful things about them and, and point them out. We shine a light on them and bring in more directly into the world, into view. The other thing that I thought about was just the, these lyrics. <laughs> when Estrella was talking about getting into the theater and using that instrument that, that we all have, <laughs> I was thinking about the second verse of this song by Darwin Grajales, Echale el miedo el fuego. I probably mentioned this before a few times. And the verse goes, Han dicho los abuelos que te han dado un instrumento que tu cuerpo es tan sagrado como el agua como el fuego. Which means our grandparents have said to us, that they've given us an instrument, then your body is so sacred, just like water, just like fire. Fire, the right element <laughs> for this interview. 
And it's interesting to think about all the wonderful things that we can do with our body and when we get involved in, in the theater and drama games or singing or any of the performing arts, how wonderfully expressive we can be with our bodies and how much that can unlock little things, little traumas or knots or blockages that we had in our body. Just like when when we do yoga, these things start to get released. So I hope you (laughs) keep those little things in mind, the power of the words, the power of the body, because you absolutely are powerful. (laughs) Just as my buddy Derek Burr said, you are beautiful, you are powerful, you are free. Uh, Thank you so much to everybody joining the Telegram group and also people following me on TikTok. So if you go on on TikTok, you search for at beautiful podcast, you'll find this. I'm also putting the the videos up in Spanish as well, or well, with Spanish subtitles. So if you want to look for that on TikTok, it's called, the account is called Una Idea Bonita. So you can follow follow us there or follow me on Instagram. A lot of people don't use TikTok. You can follow it on Instagram, Kurt.Paradise. I'm putting up, up a lot of the videos there on Instagram Reels as well. So there's more beautiful thought content to get inside your brain, boosting yourself up positively <laughs> to face the day with a smile and with love in your heart. Once again, check out beautifulpodcast.com. You can use the coupon code BEAUTIFUL2021 and you'll get 50% off your first coaching session. And most importantly, have a wonderful day. Oh,